Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for... I want to play a game. Overreaction Monday! You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? <laughs> Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Hi, right, time to overreact, folks, college football fans of America. And there was plenty to overreact to. The Big Ten is back. May this league avoid COVID completely because the entertainment value we got on Saturday. And I will start with this. Indiana are Indiana. Indiana, we're all for you. We will fight for the cream and crimson for the glory of old IU. <laughs> wow. The way you read never, that even. My goodness. Yeah, never daunted. We cannot falter. In battle, we're tried and true. Indiana are Indiana. Indiana, we're all for you. IU. I got chill bumps. You, I, yeah. I, it's a wonder they suck so much. <laughs> With a with an inspiring song like that, how could pretty that? good lyrics? Pretty good lyrics. Not bad. There's worse. There's a lot worse out there. So Indiana first win over a top ten team since 1987. Wow. Yes. Not bad. Coach yes. Tom Allen crowd surfing after after the team tells them they love him. <laughs> yeah. It's great video from the locker room. Phenomenal right. game. Phenomenally entertaining game if you weren't a Penn State fan having your, your guts ripped out. Uh, Indiana blows this game every freaking time. And when I can't remember the name of the tight end who dropped the pass over the middle, we'll just not name him because it doesn't matter. But <laughs> he's they actually, were about he's a good to, player, except for that play. Except for that play. They had the game one. He drops him like Indiana's losing. Seen this, seen this movie. <laughs> The bad, bad guys are going to escape. Now, uh, they come back uh, and win in overtime, but this game was defined by Penn State mistakes. This is a gut punch loss for Penn State. They have Ohio State coming next week. They have game day coming next week. This was supposed to be the the top 10 matchup. Everybody excited. Chance to beat the Buckeyes who they've been competitive with. Beat them. And all of a sudden, national playoffs are, are right there. And they go out and below this game terrible first half and then late when they had it won epic failures in game management james franklin and his staff quick recap 142 left in the fourth indiana uh lets devin ford 
run in to the end zone for a touchdown. He should have just kneeled down at the two-yard line, fallen down, and run the clock out. They win the game. Said he scores. Makes it uh, 27-20. And gives Indiana's going to get the ball back with a chance to tie. Then Franklin could go for two and put the game away. One play. They convert on two. It's a nine-point game. There's no shot for Indiana. Instead, he kicks the extra point. Makes it still a one-possession game. Indiana goes right down the field and scores. Converts the two-point conversion. Makes it 28-28. Then they botch a squib kick that goes 16 yards. Puts Penn State in business. This one's maybe a little complicated. I don't know what you guys think, but with eight seconds left, Penn State is sitting second and one at the 40. They have no timeouts. But if you just run a QB sneak and get the first down, get three, four, five yards, even one yard, clock stop, spike it. Maybe this is impossible in college. Maybe it's impossible when you don't have as much practice time, but I don't know what they've been doing all season. I mean, the practice has been going on. Instead, he just tries the 57-yarder. It falls a yard short. And then uh, we get to overtime, and there is just the epic play by uh, Michael Penix Jr., quarterback for Indiana, with the stretch to get the ball to the uh, pylon to win the game. Uh, did it make it? Did it not? I thought he was short, but it was so close. It is what it is. Incredible, incredible play. Pete, I saw you write about, uh, obviously, the failures of, of Penn State. Let's focus on that before we get to Indiana. Thoughts? I mean, people listening to this podcast know we're going to focus on the negative aspect before the positive. So this is this is what they uh, this this is what they came for. So it was interesting going back to listen to James Franklin's comments after the game because he didn't want to throw Devin Ford under the bus, but he also wanted to make clear that the instruction was given on the sideline to do what he failed to do. I, I crunched the numbers last night and sort of went down the rabbit hole of like clock management. So Indiana had one timeout. Penn State has the ball on the on the 14. So in in theory, they couldn't just so some people like they could have just taken three knees and one. They could not have because that one timeout. If you have if you have that situation and the clock is in the play clock is running, you can go about two minutes and just and, and just make it disappear. But the timeout moves that into the 120s. And again, there's some nebulous, do you snap it at two, that, that kind of stuff um, there. So, but as soon as the tailback crossed that first down marker, that was the moment where the game was actually won. That was the moment where you have to do that. And I really think this, there has been other games where this has happened, but I really think the high profile nature of this game will make this the example. Like for years from now, they'll be like, don't be like Penn State that time and not take the win. Because what they did by not going down, and we've seen it plenty of times where guys have like returned an interception and then you'd be like, oh, the smart play there would have been to fall down at the one. Oh, the smart, you know. Now, Indiana, and give them a ton of credit. They had to do like 19 things to get it to the, uh, to get it to the point, including just that immaculate stretch to the pylon by Penix. But I really think that Whatever James Franklin did, whatever was articulated, whatever he told guys, it was not enough. Like, it, it clearly was in the in the back of Tebek's mind because he did like a little like shimmy stutter step dance. Like, 
it was almost like, this is too easy. Should I be doing yes? And like gravity pushed him into the uh, end zone. It was like the opposite of Daniel Jones. <laughs> Instead of the gravity pushing him to the ground for no reason, gravity pushed him to the uh, to the to the touchdown. But the fault here ultimately lies with James Franklin because they have to know in no uncertain terms that they cannot score and give Tom Allen credit. It is against like generations of coaching DNA to let the other team score, especially for a defensive coach. That is a very, that's an easy thing to sit around the staff room in May and bring in the analytics guy and decide to do. It's a much more difficult thing standing on the sideline when you had Penn State on the ropes all day and, you know, could have one of the biggest wins in school history to say, yeah, let's let him score. So ton of credit to Tom Allen for making one of the season's best coaching decisions and a lot of, James Franklin, and I know Pat can talk about this too, like James Franklin has never been a great game manager. He's never been a good timeout guy. He's never been a good clock guy. He just hasn't. He has. He wasn't at Vanderbilt. He hasn't been, especially in the early years at Penn State. And, you know, is it the point where they need a designated guy? They need a retired end. They need someone to be helping him with that. Because that just, look, you're paid seven, eight million bucks a year for these 12 Saturdays. And James Franklin does a lot of things really, really well. He's one of the best coaches in college football. But this failure magnifies his past failures. And that's where we are in college football, though, where you, he's getting $5.65 million, but you gotta, you got to pay somebody else to take care of that fundamental thing for him. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> this was, you know, come on. Yeah, you can fit that under the umbrella of $5.65 million job responsibilities, in my opinion. No time, no score. But no, th- this, I mean, it was it was astounding watching it when they when the, when he broke into the clear on the play, Pete. As you said, it it does go against the coaching grain to tell your team just get out of the way and let them score. But that was the only play. That was certainly that was the best play uh, to make at that point. And even though they could not have run out the clock, if you take you know if you take three knees uh, and kick a field goal. You're going to give them 20 seconds to then have to score a touchdown. So even if you don't run it all the way out, you I, I would have been in favor of just doing that, taking three knees, centering the ball. And the, the ironic thing is Tom Allen had his own horrible clock management meltdown at the end of the first half when there's, I believe, eight seconds left and they run a play on their own like 10 instead of taking a knee, and Stevie Scott fumbles, and Penn State recovers, and they originally say the clock's run out, but then they put two seconds on it, and Penn State has a chance to kick a field goal, and they doink it off the upright. There was so much stuff that happened in this game. It's it's incredible. Dan, to your point about Indiana, look, in 1987, the last time they beat a top-10 team, I was just out of college, and I was working at the Courier-Journal in Louisville, and we covered Indiana football. Had somebody lived in Bloomington, covered football and basketball, and they had Anthony Thompson on that team, and they were very good, and I get there like, oh, Indiana's pretty good. Who knew 33 years later, we'd find be seeing them win another big game <laughs> because I was hoping you were you said, at the game, Pat. That would have made me happy. <laughs> no, but the litany of games like this that they have lost and the ways that they have lost it is just endless. And so for them to end up on the other side of it, hey, good for Indiana. Yeah, I, this is the, this is this one really hurts for Penn State, and I'll get right to Indiana because it, it is a great win for them. James Franklin, I think I saw someone mention this, and it, it made sense to me. He's clearly one of the best coaches in the country. I mean, what he did at Vanderbilt 
and what he's done at Penn State, especially considering the state of the program he took over in 14. But, you know, time kind of changes that. But this is a program Whew. that should be in the contention for, uh, you know, national, national the playoffs. I mean, it, there's nothing Penn State needs more that it should contend, and it has not yet contended. Uh, they they got to a Rose Bowl in 16, basically, because uh, I think Ohio State made the playoffs, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. And other than that, you know, it just it hasn't happened. They lose a game or two. He re, He's a reminder of Jim Caldwell, who was once a Penn State assistant a gazillion years ago, in the NFL. Jim Caldwell had the Colts when they had Peyton Manning, and then he had the Lions. And if you remember, he famously, I think it was a playoff game, he called the timeout at the wrong time. The last minute of critical games, there was a, in Detroit, there was a Hail Mary where they just didn't even guard a cover a guy against the Packers. I mean, he would blow games. And it was like from the post-game locker room for an entire week up to the last five minutes of the next week's game, (laughs) phenomenal coach. (laughs) And then there's the five minutes. Like, (laughs) everything else is phenomenal. And then you go, what the hell? And so Mm. you can't have cost you your your chance because look Penn State's got a lost Indiana now I, I don't think they can make a playoff maybe they can maybe if they they house Ohio State next week and roll on but you just put yourself you had a game to win and you gave it up to an inferior team and that is just really tough and uh I don't know I don't know what the solution is this is the seventh year at Penn State's done a great job but they've yet to have a top five finish uh in the rankings they've yet to make the playoff Obviously, you got this beast over in Columbus you got to deal with, but uh, it's not like they're finishing with one loss. They have not had a single. They've, they've, they went 7 6, 7 6, 11 3, 11 and 2, 9 and 4, not 11 and 2. And now they're 0 and 1. So painful, painful loss for, for Penn State. Indiana, Tom Allen, awesome. He's yeah. built this thing up 5 and 7, 5 and 7, 8 and 5, and then this. And they were chirping a little this offseason, talking about how good they could be. Penix Jr. said they were going to shock the world, promised it in the pa- local paper, in the Indianapolis Star. Well, <laughs> here we are, shocked. Penix Jr., that play, just incredible. I think Pete mentioned that picture will be hanging on sports bars yeah. and, yeah. right? Incredible. Interesting story. And Sully, this is a little for you. Four star recruit from Tampa. He was headed to Tennessee. He cried when when we cut him loose. Yeah, and then he then he slinked his way to Indiana, and now he's going to be in sports bars for decades. Yeah, he was committed to Tennessee. Jeremy Pruitt got hired. Scholarship got pulled. We can go back to Chris Sims, Ken Dorsey. We can go back to a million of them. Trevor Lawrence. We can do it all. We can. <laughs> there's a giant list of it. Oh, we're going to get to it. <laughs> wait, Trevor I don't Lawrence know. I, I mean, I, to Tennessee. Wait, he yeah, Tennessee does recruit Trevor Lawrence. What? Trevor Trevor Lawrence grew up. At, was wearing number sixteen because he was a Peyton Manning fan. He was a Tennessee fan growing up. And be, I'm not saying he was going there. Butch Jones is an idiot. Put a competent clown in Knoxville, and then you have Amari Rogers, T. Higgins, and, uh, and I mean, and Trevor a Lawrence. Bit of a stretch now. Or now that's maybe we're not getting message board today. That's not a stretch. This isn't our Sully. That's not message board. That's not a stretch. 
I mean, he grew you can't up a just Tennessee say fan. How is that not a Trevor Lawrence? <laughs> you were not going to get Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. The one I'm they actually screwed up was Justin Fields. Yeah, Justin Fields, too. Yeah, yeah. He went and visited there, and like nobody nobody paid attention to him. Well, they screwed Michael Penix Jr. up because he was committed to Tennessee, and they pulled his scholarship to take J.T. Shrout. Yeah, I think their quarterback position's in great hands at Tennessee. Why would they need anybody <laughs> <Yes>. else? <laughs> that room's loaded. Yeah. I'm not saying Penix Jr. is Trevor Lawrence, but I think Tennessee could use him. So, I don't know. I, Pete, your thoughts on that moment and that incredible replay? Yeah, I mean, it probably took five minutes, six minutes for the officials to figure out. It felt like it took like a month, right? Like it was like one of those moments where just so much was hanging in the air. So much was hanging in the balance. It was just this like the the stakes, the pain, the potential for, you know, it was either going to be an all-time generational moment for Indiana or like an all-time flop for Franklin Penn State. And it was just all there. And look, rational people can see that picture totally different. It was, it was, it's just like an amazing, it's just an amazing thing. You can see, no, his, his wrist isn't on the line. No, it isn't. You know, I'm inconclusive still. I do not have a, a strong opinion, uh, a, a strong opinion either way. I'm glad they didn't overturn it. I didn't feel like there was enough there to, to do that. But I mean, the announcers felt that way. I felt like Twitter felt that way. Like certainly Penn State fans thought he was out. And yeah, it was it, like, what a way to capture the madness. It's just one of those moments and credit the photographer. I think it was from the state college paper. I retweeted last night that picture. I, again, I'm not a photography expert, but I don't believe you could ever have gotten that picture in a non COVID time because it looks like it was just taken in the stands. Like you would have been in the student section trying to, right. trying to Absolutely. get that snapshot no. during yeah. that. Yes. Like you don't see full stretched out because you would have to take that picture from like way too close. You know, yes. would have been and you couldn't on the get field. like an appreciation in the perspective. So anyway, just a, a, a bizarre, you know, when we're looking at that picture 20 years from now, like it, it will be funny to say like and the only reason that happened was because this happened in this awful, awful year where the whole where everything went sideways. That needs to be on the wall of Nick's English Hut, that great bar they got down in. Yes, Bloomington, it'll be there. I believe Nick's it'll be on Kilroy's. It'll be in yeah. all the spots in Bloomington. I believe yeah. Nick's English Hut has like seven gazillion things on the wall anyway. I remember feeling <laughs> like overwhelmed. <laughs> so if that thing is not front and center. Uh, yeah, one of the great moments for for them. The one, the picture I'm putting it next to in in Indiana lore is uh, is Christian Watford hitting the shot to beat Kentucky in uh, in 2012 because that picture's all over Bloomington. That's the one that's that's their iconic basketball picture, and this one now goes next to it. Um, when Penix tucked it. I thought I didn't think he had an angle to get there. I thought, oh, he's just, you know, this isn't this isn't even going to be close. He's going to get knocked out of bounds. And then for him, he makes that leap, and it's just like, oh my gosh! I mean, and I mean, to, I mean, full literal full extension of every part of his body to even get it close. In real time, I thought, oh, I think he got there. And then on replay, I thought, oh no, I think his hands out of bounds. And like every time I watched it, my mind basically changed back and forth. And that's where I came to the, the same as, as Pete, the realization, like it's just too close. You gotta, you gotta let it stand. Um, but I mean, whoo, I, it's, you, you just can't get a play that's any closer than that. Really. It is, it is an inch here or an inch there between win or lose. And that was, you know, for Tom Allen to make that call there, another, Whew, that was a gamble. It was literally, we are going to win or lose right here on this play. And up to that point, I, I kind of thought they were good enough to just keep playing toe-to-toe -to -toe 
with Penn State. But you also you think back their offense, other than the 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 drive for the eight points, uh, their offense really hadn't been very good for quite a while in that game. So that my guess was well, in retrospect, it was certainly the right decision. But Tom Allen was the head coach at Ben Davis High School in Indianapolis in two thousand six. And then he just started getting college assistant jobs. And this is not some guy that was ever, to my knowledge, on anybody's hot coordinator list or not mine. Came, <laughs> no, came from from some, you know, fancy coaching tree. You know, he didn't coach for Nick Saban. He didn't coach for Urban Meyer, anybody like that. No, he was just a guy who kind of worked around. And then he got on Kevin Wilson's staff. Remember uh, Pete where Dan, we had uh, Kevin Wilson on our old podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, Love him. Yeah, it's crazy. feisty. But he gets in some trouble there for player uh, relations, I guess, and gets bounced out. And they promote Allen. Everybody's like, this is terrible. What a what a bad decision. He's, he's nobody. He's not going to do anything. And now here we're sitting here. They've gone eight and five last year. They beat Penn State. Tom Allen looks like a hell of a hire. Went to Maranatha Baptist University. I've been covering college football, college sports for 25 years. That's the first time I've ever heard of that school. <laughs> Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it, but I don't know where it is. I don't know uh, where it is. It's in Watertown, Wisconsin. Okay. Temple Heights High School in Florida. He was defensive coordinator at Armwood High School in Florida. Then he was Armwood's defensive a real coordinator. School. They've got they've got dudes. Yeah. Marion in Indiana. Then Ben Davis finally became the head coach at Ben Davis. Then at Wabash, Lambeth. Drake, Arkansas State, got his big break as a linebacker coach at Ole Miss. Then he was defensive corner at South Florida, then the D.C. at Indiana, and here he is. So, yeah, he has built his way up. Classic victory. I thought I saw the bottom of that ball move when it hit. My only question is when you touch the pylon, does the pylon make the ball move? And it probably doesn't. So that was my one thing. Like, it could be grazing the pylon and not move. but. It was so close. Again, I thought it was, but uh, man, if you're Penn State and you're relying on that, yeah, uh, you've lost. But if you're the if you're the if you're the less talented team, you got to go for two. The more plays in a game, the more you're going to return to mean. And one of these guys uh, on Penn State's going to pick a ball or something. So uh, I thought it was a it was a great call. All right, Sully is making his case that Tennessee should have had Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Quote okay. from Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. For for what it is a this is a this is some serious shade though, <laughs> I gotta say, I was a Tennessee fan. My mom's family is from Tennessee, so growing up, that's the only thing I really knew was Tennessee football. Watched them all the time. I think when I got to middle school or high school, kind of just started. Just I guess when I got offers and stuff, I kind of. Quit being a fan. So he was a, a fan until he decision. started getting offers like, and then realized so. this is a tire fire. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting offers yeah, to go to Judge good programs. I, okay. I'm good. But I, I mean, yes, if Tennessee was <clears throat> rolling along, if Dabo Sweeney coached the Tennessee Vols, he would have gotten Trevor I would Lawrence. Say, but, I would say the average coach. Uh, I don't know, man. Trevor Lawrence knew an equal bag compared to Clemson. So... Might as well, you know, it, it, if apples are apples, sure. Then it wasn't apples Higgins and apples, though. An average got- coach, an average coach at Tennessee, he walked into a program where he could compete for national championships from day mm-hmm. one 
and throw to NFL star receivers from day one. Two of those NFL star receivers are from Knoxville that were also going to Tennessee. Hey, if we're going to talk know. about Tennessee, can we can we go ahead and talk about Tennessee? Or let's what? talk yeah, about let's, Tennessee. Let's, let's, let's talk okay. about the tire fire. Okay. Uh, total train wreck. They get drilled 48-17. They've lost three in a row, all by three TDs or more. They get Arkansas next. I think it's a must-win game, simply put. Yeah. Cannot lose to Arkansas yeah. and make it four in a row. Lose to Alabama, it's one thing. Lose to Arkansas and Kentucky, it's another. Here's Jeremy Prude after the game. You know, looking at that game, I thought offensively it was probably one of our better games we've played. <laughs> we did have one turnover, which was for a touchdown, which is inexcusable, but we started running the ball pretty well at, at times, pretty well. I thought we protected pretty well for the most part, just didn't have the ball. Uh, 34 minutes for Alabama, 25 time possession. I was uh, on the gap between him and Alabama. I was on the other side three years ago. You think I didn't see that? I can assure you the gap is closing. Might not show on the scoreboard today, but the gap is closing. I can assure you that. Wait, did Sully do the post game or is that Pruitt? <laughs> no, I think Butch Jones t- did the post game. Joe Rex Road of the Athletic in, ten- in Nashville. Starts putting this. I'm like, that's a joke, right? That's not a real quote. I thought our offense played well. That, uh, that's a loser quote there. The, the scoreboard and what, you know, but we also heard this, by the way, we heard this from Tennessee after the Georgia game. Well, it was, it was a lot closer than the score. The gap is definitely closing between us and Georgia. Then they turned around the week after that and lost by 27 to Kentucky. The most they'd lost to, to Kentucky since the Depression. And now you turn around and do this and you want to talk about oh, the offense is doing better. That's a that's loser mentality. It's like you're you you've got a two and eight sort of program. You're trying to buck everybody up. Meanwhile, meanwhile, there was a game in East Lansing. Greg Schiano, who uh was in his first game at Rutgers. How did that one go? Remember, Greg Schiano, not only is he just a terrible human being, according to Rocky Top, but he's not a good enough coach for Tennessee. Not good enough. Populist uprising had to block that hire. Greg Schiano's first college coaching game in a long time turned out how? Somebody remind me. Help me out here. Uh, they beat the Sparties, who they did. absolutely suck. But still, Rutgers looked pretty good. Rutgers had lost 21 straight Big Ten games. They were hopeless. Sam Sam Pittman and Greg Schiano, immediate impacts. Thank God Knoxville was saved from the scourge of Greg Schiano. My goodness. It took one game to cash that take. One game against Michigan State to cash that take. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What what do you want want to brag about for Jeremy Pruitt, brother? There's nothing to brag about. He sucks. Okay. Didn't beat Indiana. (laughs) Look at mm-hmm. Michigan State's horrible. Yeah. They they and Maryland are going to be in that that game is going to be the worst game of the year. Michigan State Maryland, but Rutgers look good, well coached. I will yeah. give them that. They've got a, they've got some hope on offense. They were Rutgers was not playing Alabama yesterday. No, Michigan but, State was terrible. They were horrible. Was a little still. early on that, but good job for Coach Chiano. Anyway, Pete for for Tennessee here. All of a sudden, like the the, the Pruitt era, Sully hung up his. Uh, first half SEC East championship in the Georgia game. Like if they don't win at Arkansas and I would think they're, they're going to be an underdog in that game. Then they go A&M at home at Auburn. And all of a sudden now you are looking at a, uh, you are looking at a six game losing streak for the coach that you just extended. I don't know. Like this is pretty much who I thought Tennessee was 
right? Like I don't, like I don't think going into the season that I, I bought that they'd made this leap because they had just beaten the string of patsies to uh, to, to end last season. And uh, I, I think they're about to hit that crossroads of like major change. All right, we're going to have to get rid of Jim Chaney, even though you paid him a boatload of money and he was a big score to get from Georgia when Kirby tried to unload him. Okay, do we need a new defensive coordinator? Well, that's Pruitt's specialty. Like recruiting is allegedly going well, although that kind of – they, they won the offseason on it, and that's that's probably the best thing that Pruitt has done. He's <laughs> been able to manipulate the recruiting system to draw attention to Tennessee when they didn't deserve any. As for the, the Shiano versus Pruitt debate, like the thing that's always made me laugh is that Shiano was an NFL coach, head coach for two years. He was kind of like a consultant with the Patriots. He worked there for, you know, for like two months or whatever, and he was a head coach for 11 years, and he worked for Urban Meyer for – two and Ryan Day for one. So like when you talk about like actual who's a better coach, I mean, it's just not an argument. Like Greg Schiano is 13 years, you know, going into this year, 13 years of head coaching experience. He knows how to flip a roster. He knows how to manage a program. Tennessee fans were just trying to mock him because of the record at Rutgers instead of looking through the prism of what he accomplished. But just on the pure notion of if you've done this for 13 years, you've done it at a high level, anyone who's gone and coached in the NFL from college will tell you they learn football on just a completely different level. So that, that argument to me was never even an argument. It was just like an emotional spasm of Tennessee fans trying to defend what happened. I think it's it's a little early for the comparison between the two, but we'll see. I do agree with the criticisms of Shiano, too, when he was, you don't understand how bad Rutgers is and how Rutgers has nothing. And then B, yeah, he didn't work out in the NFL. You know who else didn't work out in the NFL? Nick Saban. Steve Spurrier. Right, Steve Spurrier. I mean, it's totally different ballgame. You know who has a losing record as we tape this thing right now? Bill Belichick. Pro, the pros are different. Great, Greg Popovich got crushed last year. So didn't Steve Kerr. Yeah, no, they they suck. Not good coaches in basketball. I mean, it is what it is. So I think it's a little early for that. But certainly Pruitt goes into this this Arkansas game. I thought they would not compete with Georgia and Alabama. I didn't think they get housed by Kentucky. And if they lose to Arkansas, yeah, then then not so good. All right, let's get to Michigan, Minnesota. Saturday night, big game. Easily the biggest game getting played at that moment. Huge moment in the sun for Minnesota, although rarely sunny up there now. <laughs> 30, and, Wolver- 30 and freezing for the game. 30 I mean. and freezing, yet I was very impressed with P.J. Fleck with just the, the ball <laughs> dome. <laughs> yeah, You see that? Yeah. Harbaugh yeah. was wrapped up like a mummy. <laughs> also, Harbaugh did not wear khakis. Yeah, I heard that. Now, you know, I didn't actually even notice, but then I saw that float across Twitter. What the heck? He apparently has a second pair of pants <laughs> and he wore them. He, they were dark and he wore, he didn't wear cleats. He wore shoes. So he may switch. It was a total different look for Harbaugh. Do you remember the great moment when he was coaching San Francisco? I don't know if college fans even know this because if they didn't pay attention to it, his wife threw out his khakis and was trying to upgrade yeah. his wardrobe. And then he went to the combine in Indianapolis and a fan saw him at the local Walmart or something. <laughs> and he had like five pairs of khakis. <laughs> he was buying. He had snuck away from his wife each. <laughs> yeah. and oh, yeah. gone to Walmart and bought khakis to try to counteract his wife's wardrobe change. One of the all-time greatest pictures. Look it up. It, uh. The look on his face, too. <laughs> Did you look it up? The NFL coach shops at Walmart for pants. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It, it was the great look on his face is like he's like dumbfounded. Someone's taking he's got that look. 
Anyway, he didn't wear them. Huge win, I think, for Michigan. 49-24. We were literally replacing Jim Harbaugh with P.J. Fleck last week, as were many in the state of Michigan. Oh, yeah. Joe Milton. This is the question. Could Harbaugh, this is what we were waiting for. Joe Milton was a big-time recruit out of Pahokee, Florida. Could have gone to Georgia. Could have gone to Florida. Michigan got it. They've developed them. 15-22 last night. 225, one TD. Eight rushes for 52 and another. He looks smooth. He can really huck it. A little rough around the edges, but man, when he gets running, he's big kid. He looked got that little bit of that Cam Newton, not as big as Cam, but where you just see cornerbacks kind of hesitating to hit him because uh, it's going to hurt. A big, big statement for for Michigan. Now, this is kind of all about Ohio State at the end, but yeah, uh, looked good. Very good. And actually, I think Pete might have broken the news that Minnesota had just some major personnel issues. Specialists, they were down kickers, they were down offensive linemen, and so I think that contributed to it. And Minnesota's rebuilding its defense, which might also contribute to it. But Michigan looked like a team that's very that Jim Harbaugh would be really comfortable with. You know, I think that there was an attempt made to a degree to try to fit Shea Patterson and be something that Michigan wasn't necessarily, and we're going to be a little more up-tempo, we're going to chuck it around a little bit more. They ran 56 plays against Minnesota, which is not many. They played at a very deliberate pace. They ran it 31 times. They threw it 25. That's a Harbaugh sort of balance, and you've got a quarterback who can do both, who can throw it, who can run it. Uh, didn't make any major mistakes at all. So I, I, I like that the way this team kind of fits around the way Harbaugh likes to coach. Uh, they've got some playmakers on defense. The, uh, they, I think Michigan has a chance. Now, all of that said, we've I've said 450 times that Michigan has a chance. So I'm going to wait and actually see if it happens first. But that was a good start. Yeah, I think if you're a Michigan fan, there's all of a sudden optimism, vision, and a path. Right. Like with Shea Patterson last year, there was no path. They were like, oh, we can win the Big Ten East. And this is how with with Milton. And again, it's very early. Minnesota lost uh, all but four starters on defense, including Antoine Winfield, who may be the best rookie in the NFL on the defensive side of the football. I think he was rookie of the month in uh, in September. It, you know, they they have they clearly and, and look, there were like huge busts there. And again, all credit, all credit to Michigan. Michigan was clearly the better team. They exploited like. Minnesota specialists were out. They ran that disastrous fake punt. That was one of the, you know, that was obviously one of the big plays of the uh, half. But pound for pound, there was no question that Michigan was the better team and Michigan was the better program. And look, entering the game, that was a question, right? Minnesota was the one who went 11 and two, trounced Auburn in the uh, in in the Outback Bowl. Michigan again, you know, turtled in all the games where they've come to expect. So. I, I was excited watching Michigan last night because maybe the script is a little different. Maybe Ohio State has a bit of a foil here. Certainly, I think right now that Michigan-Penn State game is is super intriguing, right? Like because you have Penn State down a little bit, can Michigan sort of reestablish itself as as that second team in the in the in the East? Um, we should say about Penn State. We talked about them earlier. They, no Michael Parsons, no Journey Brown. You take the best two players out of any program. That's really hard. Like Alabama lost the best player from their program last year. Didn't make the playoff. Alabama's losing the best player from their program this year. We'll see how it affects them. Penn State, you lose those two. That that's uh, that's difficult. But props props to Harbaugh. Props to Josh Gaddis. We were critical of Josh Gaddis last year. They looked like a refined, you know, well oiled offensive offensive machine there, and they didn't ask Milton to do too much. That team's got some potential. Didn't think it was a perfect game by any 
also the defense, you know, they made plays. You had the fumble created, all of that uh, scoop and score, kind of. I guess it was a float and score. I don't know what you do it, but <laughs> really, really good game by Michigan. And um, I just think that's kind of the the team we've been waiting for that we yep. haven't got. And and I think Shea Patterson just wasn't good enough. He's, he was a little too small. He just didn't. I mean, he just he was a guy who kind of looked good at times, but just clearly wasn't. This is an upgrade. And if Milton can, as gets experience, I think be a little more accurate, which is always a big concern. It's hard to get more accurate, but yeah, I mean, he can gun a ball and uh, we'll do it. All right. The quarterback news, though, of the Big Ten this weekend, Wisconsin's Graham Mertz. He was a four-star recruit out of Kansas City. He was a huge get for Wisconsin, which doesn't normally have great quarterbacks. I know they had Russell Wilson, but I think that was one season uh, on a grad transfer bounce. They don't normally get this guy. Mertz, uh, how you like this start? 20 of 21 for 248 yards and five TDs. Yeah, that'll do it. That's pretty good uh, quarterback play. 45-7. They crush Illinois on Friday night. Obviously, it's Illinois that who didn't. I mean, I don't, they didn't even look like they were ready. Obviously, to play. that was the lock of the week. What lock. do you mean that's obvious? Yeah, not a <laughs> not a great pick. Not a great pick. Man. Oh, that's right. Pat liked Illinois. That's right. <laughs> I did. He has shaved his Lovey Smith beard. I see on our Zoom uh, here. Sleeper yeah. of the Big Forget Ten. That. I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think, yes. I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten, but yeah. No. <laughs> Please come on. No, Come they're on. not going to win the Big Ten, Pat. No, they are not. <laughs> Never anyway, said that. Never How said dangerous. Libel, slander, slander. <laughs> Illinois getting plus 8,000 to win the league. Mm. You know what? Uh, Sleeper, baby. I mean, I'm not saying to win the league, but I think, I, I think they're a dangerous team. I think they will be a dangerous team for Wisconsin Friday night. They have – they were – all over the board. You didn't say they were going to. You said they're not, but you brought it up like it was even a possibility. Oh, please. He thought they could God. win the game. He didn't say they were going to win the Big Ten. That's, he didn't I mean, that's say, like no, he said they're not. They're not going to win not. it, but I think they're going to be really good. Anyway. I didn't say really good. Either. How My good God. can Wisconsin be, not just this year, but going forward, if you add a big-time quarterback to what is always a really good run game? That is, this is not just a one day thing for me. This team could be like, they, Wisconsin's a nice, cute little team, right? 10 and 2. Wisconsin, that's what they are. Well, maybe more. Could the sweatshirt get it done in Madison? <laughs> Pete? They have had such a, such a distinct identity, right? Like when you flip on Wisconsin, you know exactly what you're going to see, almost to the point of parody, right? You're going to have the big, beefy lineman from – I'm not even going to make up a Wisconsin town because I got a lot of heat for mispronouncing Wisconsin town names. So sure did. I, I'm, I'm, afraid to, I'm afraid to pronounce Milwaukee at this point without, without a torrent of tweet and hate mail. So Chris was the OC in 11 when they had Wilson. They won 11 games. They, they lost the Rose Bowl, and, and things you know, and things certainly changed. And look, if you want like the profile of a program on the cusp of being elite, you go – this is in the last 10 years. Rose Bowl, Pinstripe Bowl, Orange Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Holiday Bowl, Outback Bowl, Capital, Rose, 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 three in a row. So, and that was, uh, that was Bielma. But the one thing other than the Russell Wilson anomaly that they, they have not had during that is what I think you need now to compete in modern college football. You need a quarterback who can stretch the field. You need a dynamic, d dynamic playmaker. And 
in watching Wisconsin the other night, I was not blown away by their tailbacks. Like, I don't think this st- this stable of tailbacks could be the worst they have had in 20 years. And their offensive line looked good. I haven't checked in with any NFL people on it yet since week one. But, like, that, they don't have, to my knowledge, that, like, first-round left tackle. Now, I'm sure they're very good players, and they can really develop that position. But Barry Alvarez, when I talked to him Saturday, was very open to being like, hey, maybe we're past first now, which is, like, kind of crazy if you really think about it now. You know what I mean? It would be like, be like half of Wisconsin being like, hey, maybe we'll go vegan. Right? We got a lot of cheese around. Let's give it a shot. Uh, I don't think you can eat cheese when you're vegan. No, you cannot. You can't eat cheese if you're vegan? No. no cheese is dairy. dairy. Right? Yeah. No. No. Yeah. no, no. Good God. Pete, you're our, you got, you're our Pete, resident. You got to know your vegan rules, man. Come on. Sorry. You're the guy who should know this. Yeah, you're the healthy eater. Yeah, but hell? I eat mostly meat, so I'm like the wrong guy. You could guy be vegetarian. Like, I'm the wrong animal sympathist for this podcast. <laughs> no. so. You could be vegetarian and eat cheese pizza and stuff, but no. Yeah. Not be, yeah. Uh, to me, well, <laughs> yeah, to me, Pete, like Wisconsin has always been like your Honda Accord. In a very good car, dependable, gets you from home to work and back, change the oil, rotate the tires. It's going to run for 150,000 miles. But there's just not going to be a lot of thrill driving it. Now you had a quarterback like Graham Mertz. <laughs> you might have yourself a nice little BMW coupe, you know, a little something with some zip, a little uh, excitement uh, in there. I agree that the, the running backs right now just look like guys, and they're going to actually have running back by committee, which they usually don't do. They usually have a centerpiece guy who's really good, but that doesn't look like this team. Uh, the question, do they have good good enough receivers? They got Jake Ferguson, who's Barry Alvarez's grandson, who's a really good tight end. Uh, Danny Davis made some plays for him the other night, but uh, I want to see if they if they can really worry defensive coordinators with their receivers, per se, but their quarterback can, I think. So this is a big step forward, and I am intrigued now to see where Wisconsin can go with this. All right, other brief news in the Big Ten. We got to Rutgers' big moment. Uh, Michigan State and Maryland are horrible, looked horrible. Ohio State pummels nebraska 52 17 ryan day apologizes for the late touchdown i don't like that should have taken a knee Eh, whatever it's funny that was the bigger headline than the game yesterday i know which like that was on espn's crawl i'm like why yeah it really wasn't a big deal justin fields 20 for 21 276 two touchdowns 15 rushes another touchdown Uh, slightly more important than someone's feelings possibly getting hurt because you lost 52-17, 52-17, not 45-17. Nebraska put up a fight, but they're still just not anywhere near where they need to be. We will see how good Ohio State looked very good. So we'll see what Nebraska does from here on out. I want to get to Big 12. Oklahoma State, 24. Iowa State, 21 in a backdoor cover that hurt. No. Painful backdoor cover. Brutal. Oklahoma State had this game. One. Matt Campbell lined it up. It was perfect. He didn't yeah. go for that field goal to give him a chance to win. Nope. He no, went right no. for the back door. You cover. kick the field goal first, and then you do the <laughs> onside kick, Matt Campbell. <laughs> Oklahoma State missed like a 30-something yard field goal in the first possession, and right then and there, I said, we're screwed. Got screwed. Pat, you and I were brothers in this one, and it, yeah. it, it was painful. Yeah. They dominated. What are you doing, Matt Campbell? You're supposed to play to win the game, not cover. Exactly. <laughs> A bunch of <laughs> unlike Brian Kelly, who you who praised last week for, for playing the cover. <laughs> yes, he played the cover. And then I don't bet on Notre Dame this week. And look at how they house yeah. Pittsburgh. Jeez. Can't catch a break over here. Three and three in the 
race for the case for me. Anyway, Oklahoma State wins. They are now in control of the Big 12. Next three weeks, Texas at home, Kansas State, who destroyed Kansas, as I predicted, and then at OU, who they've beaten. They're uh, beaten just four times the last 20. So they have a huge run here to go, and we'll see what we can do. It. Here's my question about Oklahoma State, because we'll talk a lot about them, obviously, the next three weeks. The, the narrative is that Oklahoma State finishes the Big 12 undefeated. They deserve a spot in the playoff. My question is, Coastal Carolina's undefeated, and they're in the Sun Belt. If they finish undefeated, why doesn't Coastal Carolina get the playoff spot above Oklahoma State? Hey, if we have so little what? data to compare, and it's not about the jersey. I'm here to tell you, that's a heck of a provocative point. I like that point. That's why I make the big bucks on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why is such Coastal Carolina out? We have so little data. These leagues are only playing each other themselves, except that one. The Big 12 played a bunch of games against the Sun Belt, and the Sun Belt beat them most of those games. So what is it? Why is Oklahoma State 6 and Coastal's 25th? I don't care what these, these, these sports writers and coaches come up with. The data is going to be there. Now, we'll see if Coastal goes all the way, but God, I love that team. But yeah. Why are we I mean, talking they, Big 12, not Fun Belt? That's, I mean, I, I got to give you credit, man. I, and I fell into the trap of, oh, uh, well, you know, they're big. Oklahoma State looks pretty good. They're undefeated. And I ranked them in our top 10, and I did not rank Coastal Carolina. There's a, there's a hole in my logic there that you have exposed. But that Coastal Carolina, without their quarterback, who's been very good, wins by two touchdowns against Georgia Southern. That's good. That's a good win. I mean, what they're doing down there is it's crazy. It's fun. It's completely off the radar, out of nowhere. But give them some respect. Well, I thought I couldn't love Coastal Carolina more after last week when uh, we revealed that they had uh, seven or eight players with mullets, including their uh, middle linebacker who dyed his blonde. Like, if you can't get, oh, you're like, all right, you can't get more lovable than that. No, they brought in a wrestler to do like a, like a, was it a pregame or a postgame hype thing, Sully? Do you know? I think it was postgame. It was after the game. And they did this like elaborate wrestling skit where they had some poor guy dressed in like a costume of the Georgia Southern mascot. And it involved like a table break, like straight out of a Buffalo <laughs> Bills tailgate. And it, it was like there was a heel. And like that poor kid must have left bruised, by the way. There was, there, there, was, there, was, there was some serious contact when you watched that video. But to me, the Coastal Carolina postgame, like, like the Tom Allen video was great yesterday. Like you see the raw emotion, you see the kids. That's awesome, right? But the Coast Carolina thing was the most fun thing, the most fun one-minute video a college program has produced this year. You could not watch that and just be filled with sheer joy. Like, look at that. Look at like look at this guy. So give give Jamie Chadwell a ton of credit. Uh, without Grayson McCall at quarterback, they were uh, they they beat a feisty little Georgia Southern team. And uh, I know we're supposed to talk about Oklahoma State. I just I'm going to wait to get excited about Oklahoma State and really consider them a playoff contender. I'm going to let them play Texas, and then I'm going to let them go at play at Kansas State. They have not really had a road test. That The Big 12, to me, historically, is one of those huge like home road swings. Nobody wins at West Virginia. People struggle in Lubbock all the time. The only place Oklahoma State has gone so far is Kansas, which doesn't count. So they got Texas at home. Who knows what Texas team shows up? The only thing with Texas you know is the game will be close. There will be special teams blunders, and the game will be close. And, and then, a lot of penalties. Uh, yes, a lot of penalties. And then you go at K-State, which is right now the best coach team in the Big 12. And, uh, you know, they look, they've they've overcome all this COVID adversity. They're supremely well coached. So 
On November 7th, I'll be ready to have like a serious conversation about Oklahoma State in the playoff. And the one thing, if they do become a playoff contender this year, that, that I was thinking about this yesterday, that I don't want to hear is they've overcome all this adversity. Like, and that narrative needs to die. It cannot happen. It cannot emerge. It cannot leave any TV broadcaster's mouth. It cannot be part of what happened. And yet it will leave some broadcasters' mouth. Oh, of mouths. course. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my God. They and went I watched through so much. Yeah, he finally did his job. I, I, I watched their behind-the-scenes, all-access Oklahoma State football show, and during the whole thing, he's like, I listened to I listened to Hubbard for like two hours. We had a conversation for like two hours. Then he went and bailed hay with his dad. <laughs> it was, I mean, it wasn't like it was like weeks of like thinking and I'm going to spend my time. Like, he's like, I had a two-hour conversation. Like, all right, that's fine. I'm not criticizing him. Let's not overblow how much this really weighed on Mike Gundy. Yeah, that they, right. First off, look at Yesterday, Oklahoma State by three beat Iowa State. Iowa State lost by 17 points to Louisiana. Coastal beat Louisiana. Like, yeah. how good is Iowa State? Like, I just think the Big 12 has no data point that makes you say this is a great conference. Yep. So I mean, right. the Sun Belt should be ranked higher than them. It's it's all names. And if we're going to get down to this, I, I, if it's supposed to be statistical, you should get one point for the wrestling thing, extra point in the <laughs> playoff standings. And also, how quickly did that? Did some SEC coaches, like Saban's looking at that, but we need to hire a theater major. We got to get our post-game acting has to be better. Like, this is going to go on. It's going to be like that third quarter uh, LED shows, right? So this yeah, year's right. LED shows are going to be stage celebrations after the game. In the locker room to attract recruits. Uh, Coastal Carolina uh, right there. All right, let's talk about easily. And we've talked about some bad losses in this. uh, (laughs) The worst loss possibly I've ever seen. Rice. Just catastrophically bad. Rice in Middle Tennessee tied. First game of the year for Rice. They couldn't get anything going. They finally get it up. They take a knee three straight times to set up a Colin Richest Telly's. 45-yard field goal for the win. Hit it, and you win at the buzzer. He kicks it. It hits the right upright. If you haven't seen this, I'm sure you all have. Go go look it up. Hits the crossbar. Hits the left upright. Hits the crossbar again and bounces out. Four doinks. The four doinker. (laughs) Unprecedented. I've never seen it in my life. I've never seen a three. Never seen it at any time in any game. I actually was at a junior high football game yesterday where they <laughs> the two teams scored four times and converted zero of the extra points. Wasn't even close. <laughs> That's junior high football. I don't know why they're even attempting this. I'm like, there's you go get an eighth grade girl from the soccer team and have her kick it. Cause you, you guys, this is terrible. Uh, and even they couldn't doink it four times. Like Dan those ripping are, junior high football were... is like when Pat ripped his daughter's swim performance on the podcast. I'm ripping. Yeah, I'm know. ripping the eighth grade Sometimes kickers. Sometimes they need to be ripped. Come on. The eighth grade <laughs> kickers of Metro Detroit suck. I'm going to tell you right now, from what I saw, one game. Anyway, never seen this before. Middle Tennessee, of course, goes on to win it overtime. I believe the quote after by uh, Mike Bloomgreen, did it hit four times? I think it hit four times. <laughs> four times, coach. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it. I, I hope for the kicker's sake it never happens again. But 
I mean, I, I just the the pain involved in that thing. As we were watching that, you gotta think, oh, it, if it hits the first time, it's gonna bounce in. But no, I mean, like a, an oblong object really just can't do that to go four times on a on a plane, basically. And it did. It was unbelievable. And yeah, poor Rice. This is what happened. Okay, I mean, the the, the overtime of this of this game. What a what a festival of disaster. Middle Tennessee gets the first possession, goes backwards, misses a 50-yard field goal short. So all Rice has to do is make that field goal to win. And Rice basically turtles at that point. They try one run for one yard, and then they have the quarterback take two losses, one yard, two yards. Those one or two yards made a difference because then you have the Richitelli kick that goes doink, 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 and out. And so we move on then, and Rice gets possession first in the next overtime. Field goal blocked, and then Middle Tennessee wins. And yeah, poor Rice, there were a lot of rumors in August they weren't even going to play. They finally get their season off the ground. You know, they're one of the last teams to start playing six weeks after the rest of their conference, basically. And the first game (laughs) ends like that. Ah, brutal. I feel confident saying that in the history of football, 150 years of football, there have been tens of millions of kicks, right? Do you think college, NFL, high school, junior high, all across America and the world, tens of millions of kicks? Is that a fair estimate? Probably. And I will say that there has never in the history (laughs) of football been a four-doink kick. Now, somewhere... Somewhere along the line in a high school game in South Dakota, this could have happened, but I would be stunned. Like I am, I am say I feel good standing on a table saying we have never seen that and we will not see that again. A like try to replicate like we're talking about one in a trillion a four doink kick. Like you could try to like like it, it, to me the first thing I thought of was like a seven ten split in uh, in bowling. Yeah, um, but that could know, be done, but those well, happen. Yeah. Yeah, yes. those regularly happen. It's yes. very, very hard, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, but like th- with like two extra steps put in the, put in the middle of it. Like it's, it's just, it is, I watched it like 30, there was like a million things going on at that point. It was like Indiana, Penn State, and I just I couldn't stop watching it. It was just like, it was, it was unbelievable. It's a seven ten split with the pins on different lanes. Yes. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Don't know how that could have happened. Thank you for completing the analogy. Yes, like I hope you got Yeah, no, it's uh, it's much uh, it's it's much much appreciated. So imagine last night you want like depths of uh, you know we like to explore depths of misery. Imagine being Drew Svoboda. He is the special teams coach at Rice. Every day, three hundred sixty-five days a year, Drew Svoboda wakes up thinking, working at special teams at Rice. And you lose because of that and then a blocked kick. Can you imagine what his Saturday night was like? Like that just has to be like, you want to talk about the ultimate lows? That has to be the ultimate of lows. All right, we like to hand out the Heisman every single week because we're impatient. So let's do our small sample Heisman. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? Uh, I'm going to give it to Desmond Ritter, the uh, junior quarterback for Cincinnati. He had eight carries for a buck 79, three TDs, including a 91 yarder that really iced the game for uh, Cincinnati. An authoritative 42 to 13 win. Give Luke Vickle and Desmond Ritter credit. They knew they needed to win this game in this manner. Like they, if they went to SMU and they won, 
you know, 17-16, it wasn't going to look good. You, If you're Cincinnati and you want to bull your way into that playoff conversation, you need to win like this. And this was their marquee game of the season. I don't think they'll be playing anyone ranked in the same uh, in, in the same echelon as, uh, as they were. I mean, shoot, Memphis isn't even ranked right now. If you look at the rest of their schedule, UCF also is 3-2 and two and unranked. So this was it for Cincinnati. Uh, the AAC has failed them in some ways. Maybe Tulsa ends up being ranked when they play them at the end of the year. I think Tulsa is actually a pretty good team. So, uh, but give Desmond Ritter credit. They went into they went into Dallas and uh, completely pummeled SMU, and that's why he gets my small sample Heisman. All right, I'm uh, I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball. Missouri linebacker slash jack of all trades, Nick Bolton. Uh, really good player, junior there. He's been good since he arrived, and Missouri turned in a heck of a defensive performance to finally beat Kentucky, a team that uh, has had Missouri's number. They've beaten them five times in a row. Bolton had seven unassisted tackles in the game. He's averaging almost 11 tackles per game for the season. It's a playmaker, disruptor, uh, and Missouri showed some defense. It's interesting. They, they, they won a shootout against LSU. Then they turn around and win a grinder against Kentucky. And Missouri's showing some signs of life under Eli Drinkwitz. Good good start here to the season after being pummeled pretty hard their first two games. Good rebound, I guess I should say, for Missouri. So Nick Bolton, small sample Heisman. I'll give the small sample Heisman to Hank Bachmeyer, Boise State quarterback. 20 of 28, 268 yards, three touchdowns as uh, uh, Boise State won 42-13 over Utah State. Good to have the blue back. Always an addition to our uh, college football experience. Bachmeyer was really good last year. Uh, looked even better this year. Going to be a really interesting season for Boise State football. Uh, and I like seeing the Mountain West get going. But uh, Bachmeyer looked great. So I'll give him my small sample Heisman. All right. We said a lot of mean things in this podcast. I think we fired a few people possibly or we trashed them or whatever we did. Can we say something nice? This is the challenge of this this segment. Pat Forty, can you say something nice? I can. I absolutely can. I want to say something nice about Purdue, uh, which was down Rondale Moore, their outstanding playmaking receiver slash return slash running guy uh, who opted out, opted back in, but then couldn't play in the opener. More importantly, they were down their head coach and play caller, Jeff Brom. So he turns over that to younger brother, Brian Brom, They're playing Iowa. I figure they are in for a long day without those two guys, and they beat Iowa. Yet another really interesting result in the Big Ten. David Bell, receiver there, sophomore, he was really good last year, but what a start to this year. 13 catches, 121 yards, three touchdowns, Uh, and they make their quarterback situation work. Aiden O'Connell, they've been kind of all over the map looking for a quarterback the last couple years. He plays well for them. Purdue uh, I'm say something nice about you. That's a heck of a way to start the season. Pete, say something nice. I'm going to say something nice about our friends at San Jose State. First mm, of all, I want to thank San Jose State for being on at like 1.15 in the morning when I was finishing my column. There's something comforting to having that those last two hours of the day on the East Coast filled with uh, with football. San Jose State had to go like 300 miles from their campus to Humboldt State to have uh, to have practice. You know, few programs went through more in order to play. So it was great to see San Jose State play well against Air Force, 
win 17 to six. Uh, Air Force won 11 games last year, was was 1-0 um, after beating Navy pretty handily. So that for the San Jose State program, a sort of perpetually bedraggled program, for Brent Brennan and quarterback Nick Starkle, the off-transferred Nick Starkle, who went 22 of 29, 226 yards, two touchdowns. You think about all the players, all the coaches, everything they have to pour in to go out there and get a huge win like that. Uh, props to San Jose. And selfishly, I love that we have, we're at Mount West, Pac-12 in two weeks, right? The college football experience is feeling more and more whole. All right, I'm going to say something nice. I might say two things nice because we didn't get to one wow. or either of them. First off, Jalen Waddle. I'm going to say something nice about you. There you go. This sucks. Injured ankle, uh, gone for the season. Alabama's absolutely electric wide receiver. He was easily going to be one of the most exciting players to watch all season in college football. And he is out. I would guess that uh, he ends up going to the NFL after the season. We may never see him again in college. Uh, and he will do a lot of a very exciting things at on Sundays, but would have been fun to watch him play uh, this year on Saturday. Uh, tremendous, tremendous player and a big loss for Alabama. We'll see. You lose a player like that. I know they are stacked with talent, but that is the kind of game breaker who wins you those those tight games. And uh, Jalen Waddle was great. So we're thinking of you, Jalen, on the same thing. I'm going to stay in the SEC and say something nice about Lane Kiffin. Refuses to change. Uh, on uh, <laughs> at, There was a they lost uh, to Auburn, one touchdown game uh, to Auburn yesterday. There was a play that seemed to be uh, was it was like a I think it was a kickoff or was it bumped by an Al Auburn player was it a fumble was it not Auburn gets it Auburn got a great call the week before against Arkansas their luckiest team in America double Waffle House orders for Gus Valzon this week anyway um a, a man named Breck Jones Breck Jones who uh, describes himself as an old Miss alum who also likes the Giants Yankees and Knicks don't see that uh, every day. Uh, he puts out a tweet. This is a random old Miss fan. Y'all all are a disgrace at SEC. Your officiating is absolutely atrocious at SEC officiating. If y'all <laughs> want to just keep gifting Auburn wins, just say it. Yo, good on you, Breck. Get it out. Yep. Get the anger out. Okay, we want that. Vent. But who retweets this random, random <laughs> quote? Random tweet out there. Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin retweets that y'all are a disgrace at SEC. Your officiating is absolutely atrocious. And I don't know what will come of this, but I am just going to say, I am going to say something nice about Lane Kiffin. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Keep it up. Keep it up. He's right. That call sucked. That was terrible. <laughs> it did. It did. And it's the second straight week for Auburn. So what, yes. what is the SEC now biased in favor of Auburn? Uh, well, that's the thing. See, I, that that's where the conspiracy theory runs into a little <laughs> bit of trouble because, they, you know, if you're asking around the SEC, the SEC has always been biased towards Alabama. So now right. can you really turn around and be biased towards the arch rival of Alabama? I got to hear not. the back theory on this. I Hell yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of Auburn grads in Birmingham, y'all. I'm just uh, saying. There we go. Here we go. Yep. The SEC is always biased in favor of whoever my team is playing. That's the SEC mantra. Yeah. Remember that Remember that uh, Carvel letter? That was one of the best. Oh, man. my gosh. Anyway, Lane Kiffin, Breck Jones, you are the James Carvel of Ole Miss. Congratulations. So, uh, great weekend. We didn't even get to it all. We'll be back more midweek. Halloween. We're playing on Halloween. Nothing crazy could happen that. Full moon Halloween. <laughs> we'll hype it all up on Wednesday. 
Talk to you all then. Please subscribe. Please keep listening. Tell your friends. Share us on social media. Every little bit helps. Need to keep growing this podcast. Thank you very much. Talk to you then. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.